Amen. Okay, so we're up to Romans chapter 9 now on our Sunday evening Bible study. Um, And it's a bit of a gear change now in this epistle to the Romans. Um, Paul was explaining, if you remember in the last chapter, which we did I think a couple of weeks ago now, about the Holy Spirit, the resurrection, the difference between being saved and unsaved. And then he finished chapter 8 with a great few verses on eternal security. Then chapter 9 begins here with with this, where he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we get started. Father, thank you for this uh, great chapter of the Bible. Please help me to just preach it accurately now, boldly. Uh, just fill me with your spirit, please. Help help those here just to stay awake now, to, to stay alert, to just hear what you've got to say to them through this chapter, through me. Please just use me um, in the way that you want to use me so that people just, just get edified by this chapter as much as possible. And please just... Um, Please just help us all now to just be able to apply what we learned today going forward in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen. Amen. Um, Okay, so Paul's saying here that he's not making this up. This is a genuine sorrow. Okay, this is a genuine sorrow. Um, Because, I I don't know about you, but I've been around many so-called Christians that claim to have a genuine sorrow for the lost. That claim to have a genuine sorrow for certain people. Um, I've been in many churches that claim to have a real, real sorrow for the lost, don't they? They have a real heart for the lost, they claim. Yet they have such a heart for the lost, yet they seem to be unable to even go and try and preach the gospel to the lost. They're, they're, they seem incapable of actually going out and doing anything with that sorrow, but they have such a heart for the lost. Such a heart for the lost that they throw some of their, their you know, tithed money um, to some missionary who had a real heart for the lost out in the Maldives or, or some other tropical location because they've got such a heart for the lost, haven't they? It's always somewhere tropical, isn't it? Somewhere that's a real, real cool place to go, yeah? They never rarely seem to get a heart for the lost in Bogno or somewhere like that, do they? But they have a heart for the lost somewhere that's glamorous a lot of the time. And, and, and it's not always somewhere glamorous. I mean, I've been around people that's claimed to have a heart for the lost in the UK. Then I don't know, any of you guys have probably met a few missionaries to the UK. Some of the churches here are uh, so-called missionaries to the UK. Real heart for the lost, you know, real heart for the UK. Yet again, they seem incapable of going out soul winning. They seem incapable of actually preaching the gospel to the lost of the UK. They got such a heart for the lost that they were willing to, to, to accept a fairly nice paycheck from their supporting churches and a fairly cushy lifestyle here but not, as, not, not enough heart to go and preach the actual gospel here. But Paul here, he's, he's not one of these, is he? Paul here is saying that, look, he, he has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart. For, for who? For, for what? Well, he says in verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. So, basically, he has such a great heaviness and continual sorrow for his kinsmen, his countrymen. And, look, you know, there are different views on this. Is it necessarily a bad thing? Now, you can look at this and just say, oh, well, you know, what is he, some sort of racist? What is he, some sort of, you know, nationalist and everything else? But bear in mind, when you look at this, uh, up to this point, when you compare, and don't get me wrong, yeah, 
there's a lot of wickedness that went on in Israel. But still, these are people that at least had the word of God. Yeah, At least some of them were trying to live by the word of God. And there was a big difference between, or there should have been a big difference, between what was Old Testament Israel and all the Gentile nations surrounding them. Yeah, So maybe that was part of it. I don't know, really. But Paul, he obviously has a big heart there for him because he's basically said here, he, he said in verse 3, for I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ, for my brethren, for my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So he's basically saying that, that he, would, he would be prepared to be unsaved himself for their salvation, for all of them to have salvation. And anyone here would be willing to just swap their salvation for their nation, their people, their... I don't think many would, would they? I don't think many would. Turn back to Exodus 32 because this is reminiscent of Moses, isn't it? When you see this, the only other person, I think, if, I, if I'm right about this, where there's an example of this sort of attitude is Moses. Back in Exodus chapter 32, where he's been up in Mount Sinai, where God has been writing the commandments on the tables of stone. And while he's up there, the children of Israel, if you remember, they get Aaron to, to make this golden calf, don't they, um, to, to worship instead basically so while he's up in Mount Sinai he's kind of doing 40 days up there and they're just just going right let's make a new god I mean, it's, it's unbelievable isn't it and and if you remember he comes down he smashes the tables of stone doesn't he okay Moses just flips out he starts breaking these tables of stone which would be written by God I mean he, he had some anger there because it's one thing you know breaking junk in your house when you when you're in a bad mood it's another thing when you're breaking things which were written by the hand of God yeah <laughs> You're literally breaking the most valuable things you can have there. He, he, he grinds the calf to powder, if you remember this, and he basically makes them drink it. Okay, so he makes them drink this golden calf. Moses just goes, he goes pretty savage, doesn't he, on them? And understandable, really. Then he commands the Levites after them, after that, if you remember, to kill, and they end up killing 3,000 men as well. So he says, right, go out, kill every man, his neighbour, everything else, and, and they kill 3,000 men. And he goes on this rampage, but nevertheless, so look at verse 30. He has a bit of time to cool off. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, ye have, ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sins. So he still wants God to forgive them, doesn't he? Verse 31, And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. So what's this book that he's talking about? What's he, what's he talking about? Is he suggesting that God behaves like the wicked Bible correctors and just starts deleting bits he doesn't like? Is that what he's saying? That Like the liberal lovey-dovey pastor who just blots out half the Bible when he preaches? Yeah, we just swerve all of that, swerve that. Let's, let's go back to love again this week, yeah? Like that, or the Zionist who just blots out the vast majority of the New Testament. Is he, saying, is he saying that sort of blotting out? Is it that book? No, he's referring to another book, isn't he? The Book of Life, yeah? yeah. The Book of Life. This isn't the Bible. This is in case anyone's wondering or being wondered about this. It's called the Book of Life. So um, Revelation, you don't have to turn there, but 20 verse 15, which talking about the final great white throne judgment says, and whosoever was not found written in the Book of Life was cast into the lake of fire. So anyone not written in this book is going to end up in the lake of fire, okay? How do you get written in it? Well, basically, you're already in it, okay? It's a book of life. It's a book of life. Everyone that's ever lived it was, or at least at some point, was in the book of life. 
So more to the point, how do you avoid your name getting rubbed out of the Book of Life? Because that's what it's saying here about blotting out. Well, there's two ways, aren't there? Verse 33, where you are, and the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. So you could never sin against God. Anyone fancy that idea? Uh, yeah, good luck with that. So you could never sin against God. That's way number one. That's the impossible way. Or you could um, turn over to Revelation 3. Obviously, sinning against, if you're sitting there going, oh, but, but, but he did say, he did say, well, him that sins against you, well, Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, for there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Okay, so that way is not going to work. But Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Revelation 3, 5 says, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name, blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Okay, so you've got to overcome. How do we overcome? Well, you don't have to turn to but first John 5 5 says, Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, and that's how you overcome by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The way that you stop your name being blotted out of the book of life is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it's faith in Jesus Christ, isn't it? And nothing's ever changed there. Now, Moses was willing to have his name removed and spend eternity in hell so that God would forgive his people. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's yeah. an amazing attitude to have. And that's a great attitude to have, isn't it, for a leader of people to love and care about him so much that he's even willing to go to hell. And I don't think anyone here could say the same, could they? Um, Go back to Romans 9, though, where, where, like we said, Paul is saying the same here. Paul is, I, I believe, well, barring the Lord Jesus Christ, the only other person that, that is willing to, to do that, aren't they? It's willing to do that. And it is reminiscent of the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? That Jesus Christ did go to hell for people. Well, Paul says here in, in um, verse 3, For I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerned the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. So basically, here in verse 4 and 5, he's saying, look, they were adopted <coughs> as God's people, weren't they? They were a glorious nation. They had those covenants with God. They were given the law. They were serving God. They had great promises. They were the physical seed of Abraham, weren't they? Isaac and Jacob, obviously, as well. Jesus Christ's humanity was of that physical seed, yeah? Nevertheless, verse 6, not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. So he's saying you can't just ignore the word of God and focus on endless genealogies, though, can you? Because they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Well, what's he saying here? Well, verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God, but the children of the promise accounted for the seed. So according to Romans 9, 7, being the seed of Abraham doesn't make you one of the children, yeah? Yeah, being the physical seed of Abraham doesn't make you one of the children. And this is where the race-obsessed Zionist yeah, looks at this and says, yes, of course, because Abraham had two sons. He says Ishmael and Isaac, and of course Ishmael is the father of the Arabs and Muslims, isn't he? Yeah, because he's got like that sort of sounding name, isn't he? So that's, that's what it means. Yeah, of course. Is that true, though? No, not according to the book of Galatians. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. If only they could 
blot out the book of Galatians, eh? Oh, they would love to blot that one out, these Zionists, wouldn't they? And look, and if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you're sitting there going, what's he on about Zionists? Well, basically, the vast majority, and I know I, I have, I've mentioned this regularly, because we're going through the Book of Romans, it comes up regularly, and it is, a, it is a big heresy in Christianity, and many, 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 most independent Baptist churches um, believe that basically there are these special chosen people that are somehow, you know, a couple of thousand years since you know since Christ down the line have, have inherited this kind of physical right to Israel that they're God's chosen people that in fact they're going to be automatically saved if they happen to be the ones that live in the end times they're just going to get this automatic salvation get out of scripture that's being taken out of context but is that the truth is that what the bible says no because the bible doesn't say that does it but it comes from false teaching um, and, and as we know, the false teaching gets everywhere, doesn't it? And this is big, isn't it? I, I, you know, there's not many. I, I mean, you go to just, you go to other just false churches, yeah, just blatant false denomination. They all believe some version of this, don't they? I mean, this is a big, big false doctrine. So let's have a look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 21. It says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now, the bondmaid is Hagar, and the free woman, Sarah, okay? But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. So Ishmael was of, was of Hagar, yeah, Sarah's handmaid. Isaac was of Sarah, which was a promise when Abraham and Sarah were 190 years old, respectively, there. Okay, Genesis 17, 19, you don't have to turn there, reads, And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. Okay, so that's the promise there. We back, back to where you are, uh, Galatians 4, verse 24, which things are an allegory, for these are the two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar, that's just the Greek of Hagar there. And for this, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now, an allegory is a picture, a representation of something. Okay, so Hagar, or Agar here it's saying, represents the old covenant the physical nation which is in bondage to the law, okay? Sarah representing the heavenly Jerusalem, yeah? Verse 27, for it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry thou that travailest not, for the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. So this is Paul of the seed, I think of Benjamin, wasn't he, Paul? Referring to himself and the Gentiles in Galatia as one, yeah? The children of promise, yeah? We, yeah, the children of promise. And, and these are Gentiles, Galatia, yeah? Verse 29, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. So in the same way that the older brother Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so did the physical Jews persecute the younger spiritual nation, the, the Christians, yeah? And, and that is throughout the New Testament, isn't it? In fact, it's not only throughout the New Testament, it's throughout the Old Testament as well, really, isn't it? But, but it's just constant. It's a persecution of basically from the physical seed on the spiritual seed. And throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts, and people come away from, oh, it's the Romans, 
No, it's not. Well, throughout the book of Acts, yeah, all you see is these Jews literally just stalking Paul, persecuting him and anyone connected and everything else. Um, but unfortunately, people don't seem to get that. And it, it's the same to this day, isn't it? Now, obviously, you, I would broaden that as well. I'm not saying it's only the, the, the Zionist Jews that are persecuting Christians. It's basically all the work salvationists everywhere, isn't it? It's just yeah. work salvationists everywhere that absolutely hate true believers. But especially, look, the, the Zionist Jews to this day, they sure as hell do. And if you, you know, if you've come away from, from all sorts of, of movies and literature and things like that, thinking, wow, they really seem to just not like Christians. They really seem to just paint this picture of the crazy redneck Christian, the crazy Bible. It's the same old people. It's nothing's new under the sun. It's the same people. Turn over to First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14. And of course, again, you're not going to hear this preached, sadly, in, in most churches, are you? But is that, is that because it's not true? Or is it because they're just scared of preaching the truth? Or because they've been brainwashed against the truth? Because here in 1 Thessalonians 2.14, it says, For ye, brethren, became followers of the church of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sins always, for their wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Doesn't quite line up with the Jew-worshipping Zionist mainstream Christianity out there, does that? Doesn't really line up to most preaching I've ever heard in churches around this nation, in independent fundamental Baptist churches here. Something a bit amiss there, isn't it? Ever heard those verses preached before? No, I haven't. Back to Galatians 4, verse 30 says, Galatians 4, 30, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? <coughs> Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. See that? The son of the bondwoman, Ishmael, the physical seed, born after the flesh, the Jews shall not be heir with the spiritual seed, is what it's saying there. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now go back to Romans chapter 9. That's pretty clear there, isn't it? Pretty clear? Romans 9 and verse 8 says, That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise accounted for the seed. Now, by the way, they do have the ability to be the children of the promise. Okay, you don't have to turn there, but Galatians 3, 28 to 29 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But the sad truth is, is that they actually, they, they basically called a curse upon them and their children. Okay, these, these people, sadly, the vast, vast majority of them are not only not going to get saved, but a lot of them are the actual opposite and they, they're given over to a reprobate mind, so many of them. And when you look into what's taught and you look into the things that they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ, everything else, it, it, you know, they line up, don't they? They line up, they're, they're, you know, they blaspheme the Holy Ghost, they're, look, they're contrary to all men, okay? Now, this isn't every single one, and look, we, we, it's not that we have a hatred for anyone that claims to be a Jew, because so many people who claim to be a Jew, what, it just what they mean is, yeah, well, I think my mum was a Jew, or something like that, they don't even know what they believe, yeah? It's not about a race, but it's about a religion, okay? And look, we still want to preach the gospel to everyone, okay? We love everyone, we want to preach the gospel to everyone, 
but I don't love reprobates. And if people are clearly just Amen. blaspheming the Holy Ghost, yeah, then I don't love them, I hate them. Okay? And sadly, there's a lot of those in the religion of Judaism, but there are many other religions as well. Um, okay, so where were we? Back in verse 9. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac. Okay, and not only this, by the way. And let's have a quick look at that, because he's basically, there's another example at this point. Yeah, that's what he's saying here. It's pretty clear that he's continuing the point, would you not say? Yeah, he said, and not only this, because the Calvinists then want to take this part of the Bible, this part of this chapter, and then just rip it out of the context. Yeah, and they want to rip it out and then use some verses to basically teach something that's contrary to the whole Bible and just use a little bit out of context, forget that it's a not only this, it's still giving this allegory, and just start basically trying to teach their wicked heresies of Calvinism. Now, again, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, what's this guy talking about? What's he talking about, these wicked heresies of Calvinism? Okay, and it, as, as alongside Zionism, Zionism that has just perverted the vast majority of, of what are still real churches around left, there's also a doctrine called Calvinism. And, and I know I mentioned this briefly a couple of weeks ago with Romans 8. Uh, basically, there's this wicked guy called John Calvin, and he was just following up on, on other false wicked teachings that have been going on for years anyway. He kind of ordered them and collected them and got a bit of, got a bit of uh, what would you say, a bit of pace going with it, and people started buying into this stuff. And this guy, this, this wicked heretic John Calvin, that people seem to think is great, and love to read books by John Calvin, a lot of the time more than they like to read the Bible. Basically, you could sum it all up in a nutshell where he believes that, and the rest of it is just clever sounding ways to back all this up, that, that basically the people here that are saved, you had no choice at all in your salvation. You had no say at all in your salvation. In fact, God had pre-elected you from before the world began to get saved. He just kind of, with this kind of big finger over everyone, just went, you, no, not you, but you, not you, but you, like this, and did this, and has continued to do this throughout history. So basically, you have no say in it at all. Yeah, no say at all. It's an irresistible grace, yeah? So, so you had no choice it at all you were just God decided you were going to get saved and basically what's the point in soul winning because you're always going to get saved according to the Calvinist yeah funny that isn't it because it's one of those false doctrines that does in fact save people and I'll tell you what because I got poisoned with it a little bit when I was first saved it did make you think well what's the point in going out and preaching the gospel then if that's true if that's true what is the point because people are automatically going to get saved now this five points of Calvinism and we went through this briefly but they have this this cute acronym which sounds so flowery because it's called tulip yeah, what could be wrong with it? Yeah, it's called tulip. Yeah, I mean, tulips are nice, aren't they? Okay, and, and it's, it's basically, it's for their five points of Calvinism. And, 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 and it's, it's nonsense. So you've got your total depravity. That is that basically everyone is so totally depraved, yeah? Anyone here feeling totally depraved, yeah? <laughs> the Calvinist is totally depraved. Okay, so apparently it's total depravity. So everyone is so depraved and so wicked that they could never even think about getting saved, okay? You've got the, um, is it unconditional election, isn't it? Yeah. An unconditional election is you. I always get mixed up with these to a limited atonement. Okay, unconditional election. So that's basically, there are no conditions to it. So it's not that he chose you because you're good or anything else, but it does kind of, as a Calvinist, they must feel a bit like, yeah. 
I got chosen. Yeah, I got chosen. No one else did. Yeah, that was unconditional. Okay, you were elect from. And it's a funny thing because if you think about the word elect, yeah, elect is based on some criteria, isn't it? Yeah, when you elect a president, it's based on him getting the most votes. Yeah, when you elect someone to do something, it's it's basically from that word select, isn't it? You're choosing someone to do it. Well, apparently not in the Calvinist world, because in the Calvinist world, election is something that's done with absolutely no criteria at all, and it's just something that's chosen completely at random by God. And he just chooses you to get saved. But what does that really say? What does that say about everyone else, that he's choosing everyone else to be damned and go to hell forever? That's what the Calvinist believes. Yeah, That's the flip side of the coin. So you've got unconditional election, you've got limited atonement, um, which basically is saying that the atonement's only limited to the elect. I think that's how that works out. Irresistible grace. So like I said, you cannot, even if you decided, no, I don't want to get saved. It's irresistible. You are going to get saved anyway. Yeah, Even if you did not want to. If you chose not to. Yeah. Too late, no irresistible grace. God already chose you. And then you've got this other wicked part of the end called perseverance of the saints. And that basically is teaching that if you are saved, if you're really saved, you're going to persevere through the faith to the end. Yeah. So again, it's just a, a kind of flip side of, of work salvation because then you've got these people going, well, I must not be saved because I've stopped going to church. I must not be saved because I, I'm doing this sin. I'm doing, and what, what exactly is perseverance? How do you persevere? Because it's, it's not everyone here a sinner. Yeah, every single person here is a sinner. And some people have struggles with other sins. And some people have times when they're struggling more than other people. Yeah, so absolutely ridiculous. All five points are a load of nonsense. But this five points of Calvinism, this Calvinism doctrine has infected churches all over the place. And I, I would hazard a guess that if you went to most, at least, claiming to be Bible-believing churches around this town, I would probably say that, what, 90% are going to at least openly admit that they believe in Cal at least some points of Calvinism. Oh, well, I'm not a hyper-Calvinist. I don't know, we just kind of believe in some of Calvinism, or we like some of it, or we, we, you know, we're open to them. We're, uh, what did I hear a, a pastor say to me once? That we're, um, uh, I can't remember the word now, but he said something about basically that, well, we, you know, we tolerate Calvinism. Which means you tolerate Calvin. It's wicked, isn't it? It's a false doctrine. Like, don't, don't we hate every false way? Yeah. Because yeah? I hate every false way, and it is absolutely wicked. So, uh, where was I anyway? So, point being, and not only this, because this part of, of Romans chapter 9 is then misused by the Calvinists. Um, okay, verse 11. He says, well, let's, let's look at verse 10 again. So, he says, and not only this, but, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. So, look, like I said, yeah, election and firstly, Israel is elect, yeah. We We become the elect, yeah. That was God's name for that. It's got nothing to do with, with, you know, salvation from the beginning. We've just become what is that elect nation as that spiritual nation, okay? So it's another allegory here in Isaac and Rebekah's son, Jacob and Esau, their two sons here. Now, the elder Esau serving the younger Jacob, but, but how did Esau serve Jacob? So if anyone's read, read the book of Genesis and they're looking back, going, oh, yeah, yeah, so he must... Well, how did he really serve him? Because in the early years, yeah, Jacob buys... Esau's birthright for a bowl of soup, basically, doesn't he? For, it must have been quite a good casserole or whatever it was, but it was a bit strange, and, and that seems to be his inheritance there. And then he takes his father's blessing, but you never see Esau, Esau serving him, do you? 
I, I, I don't see that when I, when I read through those, those, those chapters in Genesis that's talking about Jacob and Esau. It's referring to nations, okay? It's referring to the nations, Jacob being the father of the Israelites and Esau being the father of the Edomites. Now, verse 13 there is quoting Malachi chapter 1, which you, you turn there if you like. Um, I'm going to do a bit of turning here. So he's quoting Malachi chapter 1. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, if you're wondering, just before Matthew. Um, and from verse 2, Malachi 1, 2, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I have Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, that didn't happen in Esau's lifetime. It's about the nation that he was the father of the Edomites, okay? It says in verse 4, Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down and they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord of the indignation forever. And your eyes shall see and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Okay, so you can see there that, that Edom and Esau being used interchangeably. I'm just going to go somewhere else to show you that again. Turn to Jeremiah 49, which is more evidence of this. While you turn there, I'm going to read Genesis 25, 23, where God is telling Rebecca about her twin babies, Jacob and Esau. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. Okay, they're even described at the beginning as two nations, yeah? And that's clearly what it's talking about here in Romans 9. In Jeremiah 49, from verse 7, we're going to see in a minute, the name Edom, which, which is a nation, is used interchangeably with its founding father Esau, okay? And this is over a thousand years, by the way, after Esau the man was alive. And Jeremiah is, is prophesying about the future coming of the Babylonians, yeah? Concerning Edom, from verse 7 there, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman? Is counsel perished from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? So he refers to them as Edom. Flee ye, turn back, dwell deep, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I'll bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time that I will visit him. If great gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they have enough. But I have made Esau bare... I have uncovered his secret place and he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled and his brethren and his neighbours and he is not. So go back to Romans 9, but you can see there just another example of it. Talk about the prophesying about that people. Talk about Esau long after he died as a nation. Okay, being used interchangeably with, with it known as being Edom. So back in Romans 9, these two nations are also being used as a picture of the physical nation Esau being usurped by the spiritual nation Jacob, okay? That's what the picture is. He's continuing this picture. And this is an amazing thing in the Bible, isn't it? How real true events and true things that happen are used by God to give us a picture of something that he's going to do, a picture of something in the future, a picture of something that's going to come. It's absolutely amazing, really, when you look at it. Think about all the prophecies of Christ and how things happen and incidents happen and things worked out to prophesy of things. It's just absolutely amazing. The way the Bible fits together is absolutely amazing. And we study it. He says here in, in verse 10, 
back in Romans 9, it says, And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by her father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not a works, but of him that calleth. So God in his foreknowledge use them for his purpose of showing the coming replacement of physical Israel with spiritual Israel. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, Paul has it suddenly, in the middle of trying to, to explain about basically the spiritual nation of Israel taking over from the physical nation of Israel, it's, he has it suddenly here just gone into some Calvinistic doctrine where God just chooses to damn the majority of people to hell and they have no choice about it. Okay, he, he hasn't, right, I'm just going to slip in here that, by the way, you know, all those verses that say whosoever, yeah, and it said God so loved the world, yeah, and it said whosoever, believe it in him, all those verses, yeah, verse after verse after verse, about whosoever, you know, about taking of the water of life and everything else, no, 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 forget all of that, because actually, no, um, uh, that, you know, I'm just using those words just for fun. But really, I choose. I chose from the beginning of the world. Yeah, there's no, you know, you know, when, when he said, you know, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent that he didn't actually mean all. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't mean any. He didn't mean all, really, because, in fact, just in the middle of this context about Israel, I'm going to shove in, so, you know, this, something for the Calvinists to grab hold of and, and sing and shout about. What a load of nonsense, isn't it? But that's what, that's what false doctrine is it's always things taken out of context isn't it so he's talking about nations and yes God hated the Edomites and don't miss the connotation here because you could go through this trying to just talk about the nonsense that's Calvinism and miss the connotation Esau represents the physical unsaved doesn't he the Christ rejecting work salvation Israel God hates him yeah God hates him that's what it's that's what it's basically alluding here God hates, he doesn't just, oh, well, yeah, no, he didn't get, no, he hates him. He hates him like he hated Esau. That's why in Revelation, you don't have to turn there, 3, 9, God said through John, behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie, behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee, talking to the saved, yeah? To come and worship, well, that's them serving, isn't it? That's the elder serving the younger there, isn't it? And there are many, many other pictures of that, I think, throughout the Bible. Verse 14, back where you, where you were. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore have he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. So the question, verse 14 there, is there unrighteousness with God? Of course not. It's, it's a question that he's saying that some might ask, yeah, that maybe some idiots have asked, yeah. Is it fair for him to have mercy upon the Gentiles? Is it fair for him to use wicked nations as a picture of future events, you could say? Is it fair for him to raise up wicked rulers like Pharaoh for his own purpose? And ultimately... But he can have mercy and he can also harden people, but it's not for no reason, is it? Romans 1 makes it clear why people are given over to a reprobate mind, doesn't it? Yeah, it makes it clear. If you're unsure about this, go back, 
watch my sermon on Romans 1 and, and, or just read through Romans 1. Okay? You don't even have to watch a sermon. It's not, I don't think it's really hard doctrine, is it? I mean, you read Romans 1, it's clear as day why God, people, why God gives people over to a reprobate mind. It's them that rejected him. It's them that changed the truth of God into a lie. In the same way, it was Pharaoh that kept hardening his own heart. Then God hardened his heart. They do it first. Verse 19 says, Thou wilt say then unto me, Why do thee yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Neighbour, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? So, first off, anyway, who are we to question God? Yeah? Who are we to question God? Yeah? But people do, don't they? People do question him a lot. It's not that they don't believe the word of God. It's that they want a God of their own making, don't they? That, that's what we see all the time. That's what we see when we're out preaching. That's what you see when you talk to people. It, it, it's not that, well, you, you know, I don't really believe what the Bible says. It's basically, I just want to make my own God. Yeah, I, I want to take bits. I want to have this bit and not that bit. I want to take this truth and not that truth. I like the idea of God in heaven, but I think I'll forget the hell bit. Yeah, we'll keep hell for just like the people that are a thousand times more wicked than me. But everyone else, family, friends, you know, they're all right, you know. And, and, and people want to make their own God, don't they? But here where we were and, and you know, where he's talking about therefore have he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will he hardeneth. Back in verse 18 there. And he gives the example of Pharaoh and others. Look, don't forget that, we, that we're in the context here of the book of Romans where he's been making it clear earlier on in there, in, in Romans 2 we looked at this as well, that, look, the vast, vast majority of those, or a lot, maybe not, I don't want to say the vast majority, but a lot of those Jews are basically hardened and given over, aren't they? Okay, he made that clear in Romans chapter 2. It, you know, when we looked at that, he was using all, he was, he was referring to descriptions of reprobates talking about the Jews. And that's what the context he's giving here and saying, well, well, is that okay? Is that fair? Well, look, at the end of the day, they reject, yeah? It's down to them of what they do. And the same way people, because the Calvinists will look at it and go, look, see, so he just, he, he made Pharaoh a reprobate. No, Pharaoh made himself a reprobate, Okay. Pharaoh, at least he, made the choices which resulted in God making him a reprobate. And look, God didn't go, right, Pharaoh's going to be a reprobate. No, what, what God did do is he lifted up someone that was going to be a reprobate to make an example of him. Okay, and, and God will do that. God will use people for his purpose. Okay, but ultimately they still make their choices in life. Look at verse 21. It says, Hath not the power... Uh, the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honour and another unto dishonour. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Now, I've heard this preached in many different ways, and look, I believe he's saying this that how about instead of thinking those poor old reprobates, those poor old Jews here is the context here, <coughs> you know, that poor old physical nation that had been given over to a reprobate mind, how about think that God endured? He put up with these wicked people much longer than he had to to use them for our own good. Because, look, he, even though it's saying he, even though he could show his wrath, make his power known, basically he endures these wicked people, doesn't he? He endures these wicked people. Because I believe that's one of the purposes of the reprobate, isn't it? Okay, that's the reason they're still even here, they're still alive. You know, they show us the folly of rejecting God, don't they, for one? Really, you should look at some just flaming sodomite, yeah? You should look, those people that are just the, the most open, vilest, just blatant sodomites. You should just look at those people and go, 
man, I would not want to, I would not want to reject God. Yeah, you should look as an unsafe, you should look as a parent and, and, and point them out to your kid and go, you don't want to end up like that. You want to make sure you get saved. You want to be telling people, you want to be saying to everyone, make sure you get saved because look at that. Yeah, that is disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's how we should look at it. We should look at it and go, that is absolutely sick. That is twisted. That is beyond anything. And, and that's how we should look at the reprobate, shouldn't we? And obviously the world has tried to change that, but we don't have to change, do we? We don't have to change with the world. We should stay with what the Word of God says. They should, the vile Sodomites should appall people into seeking God. That's what they should do, because these people who are openly, a lot of the time, just openly just hate, hating God, they should, yeah. they should make people want to seek the truth, shouldn't they? Pharaoh, didn't he? he? He showed the stubborn inability to obey God. So you look at someone like Pharaoh, who's just clearly just rejecting and rejecting and rejecting God, and it should be like, wow, you don't want to do that, do you? And he was, he, he was used as a great example of that, wasn't he, for then God to show his power. But, but in the same way, what, what about like the atheist, the reprobate atheist that will just not accept that there's a creator? I mean, it, it should just be ridiculous, shouldn't it? When you see someone who's literally just, back, you know, just, just going to the most ridiculous extremes of, of trying to disprove something that is just probably just one, one like rule one of just life, isn't it? Someone made this, yeah? It, it, it just goes, it's so, it's so stupid, isn't it? It's so ridiculous that someone should look at that and just go, we don't want to be given over to a reprobate mind because look at the nonsense that comes out of their mouth. You're not looking at going, wow, what a clever guy, you know, what, what, what an intellect with, you know, all, all that scientific jargon. Oh, yeah, I don't know. It, really, it should just be, wow, look, that's someone who was, you know, by the world standards, intelligent. And he, he is such a reprobate that he's looking outside, looking at each other and going, yeah, big bang. Yeah, it just came out of nowhere. Yeah, just... It's, 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 that's what it should do, shouldn't it? It should just make you go, wow, we want to be given over to that reprobate mind because you start dreaming up all sorts of nonsense. The false, bo- the false prophet who just rejects the Bible and lies through his teeth, yeah? When, when you hear that, when you, when you see somebody who's just clearly, because sometimes you talk to these people, don't you? And, and you're showing them from the Bible, you're going, look, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life, yeah? Yeah, still got to do something, you know? No, no, and, and especially when they're, like, completely gone and they're just trying to preach it and trying to... Again, you should look at that and go, wow, like, they're just... They're gone, they can't even see it. You're showing, clearly, the Word of God. For by grace, you say through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. There's any much most. Got to work, got to work. Yeah, got to do something. It, again, it should make you just go, wow, yeah, that's giving, being given over. Isn't that, isn't that unbelievable? Because it is, it, it, I believe that they should, they should and probably still do, don't they, lead people to the truth? Oh, no, I know, we talked about this before, that many, um, I, I, I'd imagine many people here, just the sheer wickedness in the world, understanding and getting an idea of how wicked and sick and twisted things really are that go on, you know, behind closed doors and sometimes not even behind closed doors, sometimes in weird sort of meetings of all sorts of power-hungry sickos and everything else, a lot of a lot of people here got led to the truth by that. A lot of people here were, 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 wow, you know, they started seeking the truth, didn't they? Because that's what these vile people do. You, when you realise there's a devil, when you realise there's pure wickedness, and you, a lot of the time you might look for good, yeah? yeah. Well, it says here in verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory 
even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. So, that we're prepared unto that glorious resurrection, yeah? Okay, how, how were we called? Well, you don't have to turn there, but Second uh, Thessalonians 2.14 says, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're all called by the gospel, aren't we? Everyone is called, but sadly, most either don't hear the call or won't hear the call. Uh, that's what it comes down to. Because, look, again, you, you could go too far with this and go, yeah, everyone's called, everyone, look, we still have to go out and preach the gospel, don't we? Okay, there are Christ look, there's a combination of Christians failing. Yeah, people still reject. Yeah, people, if they really saw, but there are people that you'll go up to, they weren't seeking. You still get them saved, yeah? yeah. Aren't there? Aren't they? It's not like everyone yeah. you knock on the doors. Oh, I was just thinking about it. It's, like, it's great when you have that. Yeah. You're just thinking, here we go. <laughs> oh, I was just thinking about heaven this morning and you're thinking, got one here. <laughs> this is a good one. But you don't always have that. And sometimes you have people who are just like, oh, yeah. Okay, and then s s at some point when they start hearing the word of God, you see the eyes go and, and you see, it's not always like that, obviously. And, uh, you know, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they shut the door halfway through. Or sometimes, even worse, someone comes down or, or some, someone suddenly pulls them away at the last minute but but look it's not that everyone's sick we still have a responsibility don't we we still have a responsibility to go out and preach that gospel but he does call us through the gospel whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ mm. back to where we are in verse 25 as he saith also in oc this is hosea i will call them my people which were not my people and her beloved which was not beloved and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. So we're still talking about the same thing here, aren't we? And we're still talking about that, that basically that replacement, yeah? It's called replacement theology. That's what many people call it. And that's what it is, okay? It's clear as day in the Bible. He's quoting the prophet Hosea here, talking of the Gentiles being called the children of the living God. Yeah, clear as day. Verse 27 Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. And what makes a remnant saved? Well, Romans 11.5 says, even so then at this present time, also there's a remnant according to the election of grace. Grace. How do they attain the election of grace? For by grace are ye saved? Through faith. And it's faith, and it all comes back to faith. <laughs> For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we had been as Sodoma and been made like unto Gomorrah. So, meaning that without that remnant, yeah, they would have been wiped out just like those wicked cities, yeah? Fire and brimstone from heaven, absolutely pulverised. And again, if you're wondering, well, what's this Sodom? Well, this is Sodom and Gomorrah, and and the Bible's clear what was going on there. It was sodomy, as we know, um, and that's where the word comes from, doesn't it? From from that from that tower, what would you call it? A city, Sodom. And God, this is what God thinks of of that wicked, vile act. And when it had got to that point where it was out of control, think of probably towns like Brighton and, you know, S San Francisco and places like this. I could think of probably some places. Tel, Tel Aviv is a good one for that. Yeah, Tel Aviv, yeah. That, that basically they get wiped out. Yeah, fire and brimstone, rain down, absolutely levelled, never to be inhabited ever again. Amen. Amen. But 
Make no mistake about it there, because Israel became a wicked place too, like you just said, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, the capital of queerness, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely vile, vile place. And again, like we said, because it's one of the, one of the characteristics of, of reprobates, isn't it? Now, that seed, that remnant, can prevent somewhere basically receiving the judgment of God. Yeah, that's what it's saying here. If it hadn't been for that remnant, except the Lord of Sabaoth had left us to see, we have been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. So go back to Genesis 18. Oh, well, I really like this passage where Abraham is bartering with God to save Sodom and Gomorrah based on whether there's a remnant there. So Genesis chapter 18 and verse 23. So this is, so God's about to punish, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. He's about to just, just destroy them. And Abraham has his, his you know, his, his nephew Lot there, doesn't he? And he's a bit worried now. And Abraham drew near and said, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Okay, so Lot saved. We see this later, you know, just Lot. Okay, Lot wasn't a just man. He was justified through faith. Okay, so he said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous of the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous of the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Okay, so he's basically saying to him, Look, like you're about to destroy, but what if there's fifty righteous people there? What if there's fifty saved people in Sodom? Yeah, would you still destroy it? Are you still going to destroy it? So what is he saying? The Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. So God is willing to spare such a disgusting place as Sodom if there were 50 saved people there. Okay, keep that in mind, yeah? And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. So he's like saying, Look, I'm sorry, I'm going to ask you again now something else. Peradventure, there shall lack five of the 50 rights. So he's thinking, yeah, I don't know if Lot's been soul winning that much, yeah? yeah. <laughs> let's hope maybe, okay, maybe let's go with 45, yeah? He says, will thou destroy the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. So God's got to go 45. I find 45 there, I won't destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be 40 found there. Uh, this is some, some good bartering, isn't it? He's just seeing where, you know, what God's going to put up with. He said, I will not do it for 40's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. By the way, notice how he's talking to the Lord here, okay? He's got some respect, hasn't he? Yeah, a good thing to remember when we speak to the Lord, isn't it? Yeah. He said, he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Peradventure there shall 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, now I've taken it upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham and Abraham returned unto his place. So Abraham's thinking, man, I've done the come on, Lot must have saved 10 people. Yeah, he's been there forever long. Uh, but uh, look, I don't know what the equivalent is in the wicked nation that we live in, because this is a wicked nation. Make no mistake about it. This is a wicked nation. I don't really know what the equivalent is here. And, and I don't know if, look, uh, you know, if it needs 
a thousand if it needs as opposed to 10 maybe 10 I don't know I don't know what the ratios are I don't think it's hard to get an estimate really of what the population of Sodom I don't think it necessarily works exactly like that right there's a definite ratio of people to save that God's going to put up with but I tell you what we could all probably do with doing a bit of praying couldn't we because look we live in a wicked place, okay? Make no mistake about it. And you're looking, oh, well, there's far more wicked places. Yeah, I know, I know a really wicked place, actually. I know a wicked place called Phuket in Thailand. What happened to Phuket in Thailand? Got wasted in the tsunami, yeah? And all those, those wicked coastal places, people were getting, basically, it was like sex tourism and the rest of it going on there. They got wiped out. Yeah, they got wiped out. They got flooded. God, for me, that was of God. Yeah, and look, okay, well, why hasn't he done this place out? I don't know. Maybe there's some righteous in other, but maybe there were no righteous people in Phuket. Maybe there's only one righteous person there, and he was like, right, that's it, I'm dealing with it. And we don't know exactly the reason why he will and why he won't, but I'll tell you what, God's just, isn't he? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Yeah, and look, here, we want to make sure we're going to up those righteous. So look, I don't think I'm talking to a room of soul winners here, yeah? But look, it's a good, good to spur you on with that, isn't it, as well? Make yeah. sure that we're just upping the amount of saved people here to make sure that God doesn't end up with some sort of righteous judgment on this nation. And that should be a good thing to spur on people everywhere as well, shouldn't it? Because he'd be perfectly justified, wouldn't he, in wiping out this place? Because there's wickedness everywhere you go, isn't there? I'll tell you, what, I go and work in central London. What is it about London? I mean, it's like it's like being in Brighton now. It, it, it's disgusting. And they're literally walking down the side of the street holding hands and stuff now, just plain out in, and worse and much worse. Yeah, there's blatant transsexuals everywhere. The rest of it just in plain sight, middle of the day, walking down the road. No one even back side. Because you're sitting in traffic a lot in London, aren't you? So I, I find it interesting to know to try and look to see well, what are other people's reaction? Because I'm sitting there going, oh, it's like, you know, it's just like you know, trying to and. and you look and then you glance around and no one's even looking no one's even interested you know these guys are standing in the street you know you can imagine sometimes no one even cares no one even looks no, no one even gives it a second glance so like, yeah carrying on my day you know let's look for a bird to wolf whistle out, out the window or something else the van drive you know in the old days they would have got it wouldn't they they would have got abuse wouldn't they wouldn't they? like not even that long ago. No, when I when I was younger and when I was driving vans when I was young, we would have abused those people, you know, out the window. And and it's tempting to now, isn't it? I know we don't, you know, I don't think that's really going to profit anyone. But look, nowadays it doesn't even seem like they get that at all. What has this nation come to when they don't even get abused out of a van driver's window? Hey, eh? what are the van drivers come to in this world? Hey, eh? if you're a van, you call yourself a van driver, and you're not, you're not. But, that's what it's got to, isn't it? Unbelievable. But, but we should be praying for most of you, shouldn't we? And we should be upping the amount of righteous, shouldn't we, ourselves? Because it is a wicked place. It is a wicked place. Look at verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not... Sorry, back where we are in Romans, Romans 9. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness have not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. What's the stumbling stone? Faith alone in Christ alone. That's ultimately it, isn't it? That's the stumbling. They stumble. And how many people stumble at that? How many people stumble at faith alone? They just cannot do it. They cannot get their head around it. They cannot accept it. And, that's, and, and that was the same with, with, with Israel. That was the same with that physical seed, wasn't it? That they just could not accept that it was faith alone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion 
a stumbling stone, a rock of offence. And whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now, the him here obviously being Jesus Christ, yeah? Okay, that's clear, isn't it? Um, he says here, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Yeah, and we could cross-reference that. The most obvious one, just John 3, 16. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But turn to Isaiah 8.13, just as a little finish here, I just find this quite interesting. So he said here in verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I lay a sign, a stumbling stone, a rock of offence, and whosoever believeth on him, okay, that's a stumbling stone, a rock of offence, shall not be ashamed. Isaiah 8.13 says, Sanctify, Isaiah 8.13, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, yeah? One of, the, one of the many names for God, and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he, the Lord of hosts that is, shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offence, yeah? To both the house of Israel for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. So in Isaiah 8.13, it's a Lord of hosts who's a stone of stumbling, a rock of offence. Lovely, lovely, just nice example there that Jesus is God in the flesh. Yeah? Amen, it's amen. one of many and just, just a nice one that you don't always maybe go to. And can you make it clear here, isn't he, that whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And, and just, just as a last point on this chapter as well, because like I said, the Calvinists love going here and just taking out a bit of it and trying to teach this, you know, that you're damned to, damned to hell or you, your irresistible grace to heaven. What does, a, what does a chapter finish off with? Whosoever, whosoever, not who God elected, no, whosoever, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Kind of makes you feel like he's just making a point for anyone that might have tried to take that out of context, don't you think? On that, let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, thank you for a great chapter of the Bible. Um, thank you for, for you know the many truths that we got out of there, and thank you that that you know just just that grace through faith that that we're able to to become your children. We're able to become that spiritual Israel, and. Uh, you know, and to inherit all those blessings, all those promises. And what a great truth of the Bible. Let, let us not have that shaken. Let us not have that stolen away from us by wicked false teachers and, and, and all these wicked false prophets everywhere and those that have been sucked in by them. Just help us to stand on, on your word, stand on the truth and to, you know, stand on the truth that we are your people. We are your, your chosen people. We are those precious people, those elect. And, and, and it's not elect because of some, some irresistible grace-style salvation. It's elect because we have become what were the elect Israel. We are now that spiritual nation. And we thank you for, for those truths. We, we pray that you help us to, to just be aware that, you know, that there needs to be a remnant somewhere for, for it to resist a, you know, your, your judgment. And obviously there is an ultimate judgment coming, but, but that's when the remnant will, will be removed. But before that... You know, Lord, that we, we just keep trying to up that remnant in this in this nation and, and in others as well. Help us not just to be insular with it as well. To, as things start to, you know, as we grow now as a church, we're able to start preaching in other places, other nations, especially in Europe. And uh, just help us to, to, to just do many things for you, Lord, from this church. And um, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.